the 2024 show. We're glad you have you back on this Wednesday night. We have a packed show for you again. We are brought to you by the Georgia Record or georgiarecord.com. Please sign up for our newsletters. Sign up for our no-ad subscriptions. We need resources to continue this fight. It's very expensive, uh, what we're doing in Georgia and across the world, bringing truth. So please sign up for our no-ad subscriptions. Top right corner of the Georgia Record. Sign up with no ads and you get access to all 13 of our sites with no ads. Please sign up for or subscribe to our Rumble channel. CDM1 is the channel name. And uh, sign up for all our social media, Twitter, Getter, Gab, Minds, Truth. We're everywhere. We need to grow the show. And uh, please tell people about the show also. So we also, for all of our shows, we had podcasts. So you can sign up for the Georgia show, the G Georgia 24 show on any podcast provider. Uh, please subscribe. And uh, again, tell your friends. As far as what we have for the show today, we have... Brian K. Pritchard, who's uh, one of the uh, regular contributors to the Georgia show. We have Susan Oprah who's going to talk to you about really what's going on in the Georgia GOP and the recent Inc. versus uh, party issue in the GOP. And we have Rick Morig from Milton, which has been a, a subject for us over the last few weeks. Uh, and we're going to delve into more issues there. So with that, I want to run a quick ad from our sponsor, David Cross, whom you all know. I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Thank you for supporting David Cross. It's, it's rare to find a money manager who actually shares the value of America first. So uh, please support David as he supports CDM and the Georgia Record. With that, let's get to our first guest. Bill Quinn is going to take over from here. All right. <clears throat> Thank you for joining. Um, our first guest this evening is Rick Morig, 27-year uh, uh, resident of the Milton area, um, a member of the Milton City Council for the last decade, and one of those who worked hard to make sure that Milton got formed a number of years ago. So we were able to catch up with Rick earlier today. Let's hear what he has to say. Joined by Rick Morig, a member of the Milton City Council. Uh, Rick, thank you for joining us today. Bill, thanks for having me. So Milton's a, a really special place from what I gather. I have friends that, uh, that live there. I have uh, more friends that know about it and want to live there. So, um, I mean, give us a little bit of your history uh, with Milton, if you can, please. A little bit of your background as, uh, as both a resident and how you came to be there. Okay, um, I grew up in Michigan, in Western Michigan, and did a transfer with IBM down here. It was back in 1996, so 27 years ago. Moved down here with my family, young family. Uh, had a uh, nine-month-old, a three-year-old, and a six-year-old when we moved down here. So when I was looking for a place to live, this used to be unincorporated Fulton County. I was concerned about schools. I was concerned about the look and feel of the area. Um, and I ended up, we looked at 
probably over 100 houses. We ended up finding this one, liked it. And I've lived in the same house here for 27 years in what now is Milton. Tell, tell me a little bit about, you know, how the, you know, the city thinks about governing itself. What are the, are there big goals that, that the city has as we go forward or what are they thinking about? Well, I mean, we have, we, we do work on our strategic plan where we're looking at what are the initiatives when we look at five, 10, 15, 20 years out. So as a city and as a council, that's something that we work on. Um, if I go back to when we first formed in 2006, I was on the organizing committee when we had an opportunity to become a city. Initially, we were trying to see if Alpharetta would inc uh, incorporate us or annex us. That didn't work out. So uh, Jan Jones, Representative Jan Jones, brought forward the option to, to say, do you want to take a look at actually forming Milton? So a, a number of people, I was one of them, a group of us worked for probably about half or three quarters of a year trying to figure out what would be the real cost to provide public safety. Um, that would be police and fire. That actually was one of my biggest concerns initially because Fulton County would pull the two police officers that worked in unincorporated Fulton and they'd pull them because there wasn't crime up here. They'd mm -hmm. pull them down to South County. And then if there ever was an issue, um, we would, it would take forever to actually get services. So that was one of my priorities. Um, and then the other thing behind it is looking to really, the closer you get government to the people, it's supposed to be a representative government. And for me, that's what I've always looked at. I don't try to look at myself as a politician. I'm an elected official, but I work really towards being a public servant. It's about the people. It's not about what I want. It's really about what's the vision that other people have, what makes sense. Long after Rick Morig or anyone on council is gone, that's really the focus is is this city still going to be special? Is it still going to retain the character that we have? And we've worked hard actually to do that. Um, people say we're rural. Well, it feels rural intentionally. We have a lot of subdivisions. There's a lot of stuff out here. We still do have horse farms, which we're working hard mm -hmm. to try to attract. If someone sells a horse farm, we'd love to have somebody come, come in and actually buy that estate and continue on. So we're doing deliberate things even as a city in advertising and equestrian magazines to make Milton known for that. So we don't lose that piece. Um, when we do, when we do developments like sub subdivision developments back in 2014, I worked on initiatives to say, how can we save green space? We like the, the look and feel. And it, and it occurred to me one, one day when I was out driving, when I saw one subdivision that actually was clear cut, you could look all the way back into the subdivision. And then right across the street was one you couldn't even see the homes. And I said, hmm. that's what it is. That's the look and feel known when you drive along the curvy roads, the nice train. You don't, there's a lot of subdivisions, homes, you don't see them. So there's more of a relaxed feeling by having what we ended up doing a, a, um, a uh, rural view shed setback where we had the developers, if you want to do a subdivision over five homes, you've got to dedicate space along the road to actually protect the view of the subdivision inside. So when you're driving along the road, you won't see it. I just, when I grew up in Michigan, I was out, I guess you'd say in the country, I lived on Inland Lake, but there were dairy farms and horses all around in West Michigan where I grew up. And I just know I loved the out outdoors, loved the way things felt where you have open space and actually trees, trees soften the environment as well as provide mm -hmm. oxygen. 
and uh, yeah. shade. But part of it is, I think you need to be intentional when you get into, if you have a city, you need to be intentional on where you're going with that city. You, it, what we have in Milton and why it's so attractive is not by chance. It was by putting in restrictions. We were first told, oh, developers, you can never do that, you know, rural view, view shed setback. They'll never do it. I said, if they want to build here, they will do it. And guess what? We we are working to try to even as we develop most of the areas, AG1, which means you can put one house per acre if the, the soil will allow your, your septic system to mm -hmm. perk. What we've been trying to do is also encourage developers to look at estate lots. So we've got um, one, a new subdivision that's going up that was a golf course before, and they were going to do one, one uh, home per acre. Working with community development, our director worked with them and said, why don't you do five to eight acres? People will buy that. You'll actually earn more money when you sell it. And now that's what we have in that subdivision. They're going to have a state lot. So it's going to have a whole new character. That's what we try to do is to make, make Milton special. We've got all mixes of housing, but how can we make it again, looking out 20 years from now, long after I'm gone, yeah. what we still want Milton to still be here and actually be representative of the people who live in the city. That was the reason to form our own government was to really have self-determination and it's not the council determination it's really listening to the people and you have to talk to people to find out what they want yeah you mentioned earlier you um were involved before milton really existed as a city that must have been you know kind of an exciting time uh, what was it like i mean how how did people come together to to think about what they wanted and, and this goes back to what, what year frame, what time frame would this have been? Um, we moved here, I moved here in October of 96. So this would have been probably early 1997. And huh. there was a big push for high density housing. When I moved here, like I said, when I went to work and I went Morris Road or Old Morris Road to get onto 400, I was going by cows. There were, there were no apartments, there were no townhomes, there weren't even many subdivisions, there weren't restaurants, there weren't grocery stores. My wife actually accused me of you moved me out into the middle of nowhere. <laughs> uh, so I had to work through that, uh, but now we love the area. Um, in fact, my oldest daughter who was living in Philadelphia with her family uh, moved back here because they wanted to be close to where the grandparents were. And they just are buying a house in Milton, which she said they never would buy in Milton. They buy in other neighborhoods, but they came back mm -hmm. and after driving around looking at homes, they said, we want to be here. Uh, back in 97, it's kind of like the wild, wild west. There was no commercial. There was only one restaurant on Windward Parkway. Windward Parkway dead ended at highway nine. Mm -hmm. Um, you didn't even have North Point Parkway coming all the way up to Windward Parkway. There was, it was still pretty, you, you'd go out and, and drive. You just, you could go for a while without even seeing cars. No immediate grocery stores nearby. We had to go down. Actually, Alfreda, we had to go south of Alfreda to go to grocery stores. No mm -hmm. fast food, none of that. So when it started to develop, when we saw, I saw one of the first commercial uh, buildings that were built out, I said, the concern I had is, is this really the vision that we want? Because this is going to be here 30, 40 years. What can we do about it? And that's when, that's when I started to get more educated 
on Fulton County, understand exactly how do things work? Because I, I don't have a background in uh, public service as far as city government. That was that was very much going down, learning, getting land use maps, trying to understand what was going on. So from that point, I just remember there was a, a developer, and I won't state the developer's name, <laughs> um, but they wanted to meet with me to talk about building uh, right behind my house, the width of my lot, three townhomes with having tool sheds off the back, 30 feet off of my property line. And that was when um, I started calling around with people that I'd met through church, at different neighborhoods, trying to find representatives from the subs. We all met at my house with the developer and mm -hmm. just, he told us how beautiful our sub was, the trees, everything. I said, well, that's perfect. That's, that's what we want to talk to you about. How do we preserve that? So over time we did work, work with the developers um, and actually got a buffer uh, along our subdivision to try to soften the view. And I went down and I presented to Fulton County uh, to the board of commissioners and shared, surely highway nine, you didn't plan to come with high density or commercial a mile back off from the road. So what can we do for transitional density and housing? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. When you, when you think about the people that live in Milton today and the folks that are coming back, um, they're, they're deliberately choosing Milton, yeah, because of its persona, I guess I'll call it the, the feeling that you get there. The question is how important do you see that going forward for folks that are going to, um, lead the city? I, I think it's very important. I think it's essential um, because development is going to happen. Redevelopment is going to happen. Um, we're all aware, aware of that. But the, the challenge or the, the importance is what type of development are you going to attract? What are your standards? And is it something that people want? If you just leave that to chance, um, well, you're probably going to end up with something that you don't want. That's why we fought so hard to make Milton what it is today. And I remember even when I was going around at the beginning in 2006, some people got to decide where they wanted to choose. Did they want to be in Roswell? Did they want to be in Alfreda? Did they want to be in, in Milton? And we didn't have anything to sell other than here's what our vision is. Mm -hmm. And I'd sat in living rooms with an, another a couple other council people that were unopposed at the time. And we just said, here's our vision. You know, we don't have this today, but this is the direction we're going. We want to make sure that we've got the essential services that you need and use. And that's the key. What do the people need? I don't want to, government should not be, there's a lot of interesting programs you could come up with. The question is, are people going to avail themselves of it? Is it what people really want? I don't want it, the tax money that we collect. That's not my money. I pay taxes too. It's really the people's money and how do we actually spend it and use it. One of the things that I've heard a little bit about, we spoke about it this past year and I'm hearing more about it is the idea of having a development authority, hmm. a development authority that would not be comprised of council members or even people that we appoint. It would be comprised of it. It would require the council to actually vote and say, yes, we want to have these professionals, the developers be the ones that decide what Milton what should go, what's best for Milton. And I see a lot of danger in that. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we've worked very hard. We've got some, we've got limited commercial spaces, but we've been very intentional on what we want those to look like. We want them to be successful businesses that come in. We want it to thrive. We want a good mix. I think it's important that that council 
whoever you have on council is really tuned in and attuned to what we want. You can't just leave it for chance. You have to look at deliberately, how are you going to work? We're going to have development. We're going to have redevelopment. We've got three commercial nodes. Um, actually, I guess there would be a fourth Long Island Mill that has not developed yet. There's still a lot that could change in Milton if we're not very careful in how we do it. So I think it takes people that actually are committed to learning about land use, understanding zoning, engaged, listening to the people. And that's really what I've tried to do um, since I was on the initial council. I was on the first city council when we actually bought the fire trucks, the police cars, everything. <laughs> I stepped away for a few years and then I actually came back in 2013. And um uh, and I've been back on council since then. So to me, it's a passion. It's not, it's not something, it's not about being on council. It's really about listening to people and trying to support them. We, yep. we actually, uh, we have to qualify within three districts. You have to live in that district, but we serve the entire city. So I serve at large and I, whether I get a call from the North end of Milton or over to the West, all those we take seriously and, and try to again, I'm not here for me. I'm here for the people who live here. And I hope that we can actually make this place even better than what it is today. That's the goal. Yeah, that's a, it's an admirable goal. It's, it's fascinating to me that over the past, oh, a couple of years at least, uh, folks have become much more sensitive to the notion of politicians who seem to be out for whatever their agenda is. Often it may not be apparent, but seem to be, not really listening to their constituents. They're not, I think you said earlier, representing the people that hired them, essentially. Yeah. And uh, I think that that going forward is going to be much more on people's minds and as it should be, very frankly. <laughs> the you know, government doesn't exist for its own self. It exists to, to help the folks, right? Um, uh, so tell us a little bit about when uh, you're running for re-election, is that correct? That is correct. This would and, be, if re-elected, this would be my final term because we have term limits in Milton in our city. Okay. Charter. And when is the election going to come up? We start advanced voting. Um, we have 18 days of advanced voting or early voting. Is on the 16th, starts on the 16th of October. That We have one location where we're going to be doing that. That is over at City Hall. Um, mm -hmm. should be probably the quickest uh, quickest. Uh, voting than we've ever had. Um, it's going to be very simple. And then two, we have two Saturdays as part of that. Then on election day, we have three, three polling locations, three places that you would go to vote and you'll be designated just as we have in the, in the state and federal elections. You depend on where your precinct is and your address. You'll be told here's really where you need to go. If you are voting on election day, you also have, uh, the opportunity to do absentee ballots on my website, rickmorig.com. Um, they're actually, I put all the information about voting. So it's, people don't have to go looking for it. It's right there. And then there are links. If you want to get an absentee ballot, you can click on that link and then go to the city website and go through that. So trying to make it easy, make it informative, um, because with municipal elections, many times it's a lot lower turnout, but I'm encouraging people when I walk the, go out and talk to people in their homes or walking the streets, doing door knocking. It's important that people vote because you need to choose who it is that you want representing you. It does make a difference mm -hmm. because, you know, watch the city council, 
look and see who's engaged, look at who's really trying to come prepared and make sure that we, in fact, are doing the things that people want. And when people call me with the concerns, I'll take them seriously, but I'll also say, if you want, you've got a chance for public comment. Every meeting doesn't even have to be an agenda item. You can come and tell us what's on your mind. You should do that. That's your right. You're a citizen. The city is there to serve you. And council is there to represent the citizens and, and then give direction to the city government. We have great staff, but give the direction to the city on what we want as a council implemented uh, for what represents the people within the city. That's great. That's great. So um, that sounds like you're well on your way. Um, I bet we'll have you on again before uh, before the actual uh, early voting starts. And so we'll be interested to hear the latest. Um, any any other ways for them to get in touch with you? Or if someone, for example, one of the groups wants to have you come speak to a group, they reach you through the website? That would probably be the easiest. And, mm -hmm. and in there, there's a link to reach out. But um, the campaign website, uh, I would ask if someone wants to reach out, do not send it to my city email because that's only to be used for city business. This is off to the side. But if you send it to Morig, my last name, the number four, Milton at gmail.com, that will get to me. But you can also find that when you when you reach out, you can send an email through my website, rickmorig.com. Um, and there's, there's some drop downs that will tell you about voting or different things. So I'd encourage you, if you want to know more about me, take a look at it. Uh, and I'd love to talk to people. I'm trying to get out and actually listen to what people have to say and their concerns. That's great. All right. Well, thank you for making time for us. And we'll, we'll look forward to the next update. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate the time that you gave me. You bet. Next guest, I want to ask you, how are you going to protect your family in the next emergency? You know the next one is coming, whether it's bubonic plague, whether it's uh, Ebola or a Marburg virus or COVID, whatever variant there is out there, or a tick bite or whatever. It's coming because they have to shut down the country to try to steal the election. So again, I ask you, how are you going to protect your family if CVS is down, if the grid's down, if you can't travel, if they lock you down? You need to be able to do basic things medically with your family. So go to TWC Health, excuse me, TWC.Health forward slash CDM and check out their emergency medical kit. It has multiple different medicines, which you might need in an emergency antibiotics and, and such. Um, it, it's just built for one adult. So you may need more, but go to TWC.health forward slash CDM. And don't forget to use promo code CDM for a 10% discount for your entire order. Again, TWC.health forward slash CDM and protect your family. And now let's get to our next guest. Okay, we had uh, the chance to chat with um, Susan Oprasuth earlier today regarding the uh, com convention call that came out from the Georgia GOP uh, over the weekend. So let's hear her perspective on that. Uh, Susan Oprasuth, who is one of the state committee members representing Fulton County. Susan, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Bill. I really appreciate the opportunity to try to help bring some light to what the state committee is um, for the Republican Party in Georgia and what we're what we're doing. So you mean it's not all transparency and light? <laughs> most regrettably, it really is not. It's really kind of sad. I'm a little bit down from some activities this weekend concerning it, and I'll I'll share with you why. Um, Please go ahead. 
something that happened this past weekend is we had um, presented to the 185 state committee members um, what we call the call. It's kind of a confusing term for even people inside the party. But basically, it's the details, the rules surrounding um, all the conventions that are coming up over the next two years. So that includes our precinct caucuses at the county, our county conventions, our district conventions, our next state convention, as well as this year, most significantly, the Republican National Convention. So you might imagine that um, the rules and regulations and, and procedural issues surrounding um, all these conventions are significant and um, not something that you would think an organization, a party, more significant, you know, you know, we're a party, but a, a business or anybody would want to pass these things on the fly without plenty of time to not only read them, but digest them and converse with your other committee members. Mm -hmm. The whole process sounds pretty darn complex. You'd think you'd want to have everybody think it through and make sure nothing was missed, right? Absolutely. It is complex. I've, I've done it a couple times and it is complex. Um, becomes less so like anything you do, the more you do it. But I can tell you, I had many people calling me, especially new patriots. They think they're alone in their confusion, but they're absolutely not. They call me kind of sheepishly and say, you know, I don't really get this. What even is this? They don't even know. And they, they're new. So, I mean, in, in, in my estimation, it's like a new employee or something. Why should they know everything about the company? I would consider it my responsibility if I'm in leadership in the company or an organization to um, coach them, share with them, this is coming, this is what it is, do training. Um, but there was absolutely none of that. So what happened is I went about my merry way over the weekend and late Sunday or sometime Sunday, I got some text from um, somebody on the committee, a newer person saying, have you seen the call yet? And the vote that has to be done on Monday. And I'm like, what? I don't know. So I had to go rummaging through. And this was like later on Sunday because I had a full weekend with my family and all that. So late Sunday, I'm kind of tired. I'm looking through this and um, I couldn't believe it. I was absolutely alarmed because it had the following day as the deadline for the vote. Sent it out at 11, no, I'm sorry, 5.59, I think, on Friday. So to me, that's the weekend. It's essentially six o'clock. Most people have left work. They're ready to, you know, settle down, chill out for the weekend. And many of us, I know myself, certainly, I make a deliberate effort not to work over the weekend. And um, I sometimes check my emails Sunday evening to see how the week's going to come, but more um, commonly Monday morning. You know, I take a look at my, my emails. So my point being here is they sent it out over the weekend. When, and then the vote was to be made between 5 o'clock and 9 o'clock on Monday evening. Now, the mm -hmm. most interesting thing about that bill, it was not a vote or a meeting with motions or um, me doing some amendments and putting before the floor, you know, I'd like to amend this particular phraseology or paragraph. It was an up or down vote, period. No mm -hmm. discussion, nothing. 
Really? So there wasn't an opportunity for people to, I think you mentioned there were 185 members. They, they didn't have an opportunity to discuss this. That's correct. There are right. our governing body in the state of Georgia, I, I believe is approximately 185 um, people. Many of them are state elected officials in that. But the point is, yes, we, we have see, uh, and this is again where the ink in the party become interesting because if you do look at election law, we're clearly the governing body and this party or really the corporation needs us to the governing body to vote on this, but they don't need us to discuss it. They don't need our input. They clearly don't want our input. They just need our vote. So they sent us uh, an email and we had to vote up or down. There was absolutely no discussion. And so needless for, for folks that haven't done this before, when you say up or down, you mean vote for it or vote against it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, okay. um, some of it was um, was the same similar call, maybe four or five pages that the last convention. Mm-hmm. And this gets a little complicated. Many of us wanted to make amendments at the last convention, but we were not given that opportunity. They shut down the convention. So before we could do business, that that business of um, amending rules and that. So we just had to accept it, full bore, swallow it down and just either decide to be basically, um, you know, dictated to or look against like like you're against the leadership, which I, I don't know that that necessarily I'm against the way the leadership presented it. Absolutely. So what happened is as soon as I opened it up, I thought I was very alarmed. There were key indicators of concern. One was the time limit. And most alarmingly, I switched to the back of the page and I saw the signature block. And the signature block said G-A-G-O-P. So I think we sent this to you before. You should have it in your possession. But um, the signature block, uh, interesting enough, is... The G-A-G-O-P. I don't know how much anybody can see that. What's the significance there? That's the corporation issue. That has never been done before. Where they, um, how, how do I put this? In the past, I should say, the calls were attested to by party officers. Like in the last call in, in 23, our last convention, and that also was sent to you. It says, uh, for instance, David Schaefer, chairman. Um, it says um, Georgia Republican Party. Not, so, so the difference is GOP versus Georgia Republican Party. Exactly. And we know, hmm. thanks to a lot of your reporting, the recent Hank Sullivan article, a lot of our research over the last couple of years, that they're two distinct entities one under election law, one under corporate law. We've all been talking about that for a while and there's still some more to learn there. But the the difference today is that to my knowledge, they have never signed and attested to the call as a corporation, but rather a party. Now, what's most intriguing to me is notice how, because of um, your reporting, Hank's reporting and others, notice how they didn't write GRP Inc. when they attested mm-hmm. to it. Hmm. My, contention, my contention is look at all the talk about the ink, right? But there's not been a lot of talk about the GAGOP. 
as in being a DBA or, um, you know, that, that's the, the logo or whatever. When you go to um, WinRed and you go to GAGOP, it says at the bottom, your contribution is going to the Inc. And we all know the Inc. has no members. And when you say the Inc., we're talking about the Georgia Republican Party, comma, Inc. Exactly. Incorporated, which is a company, not a party. Exactly. And it clearly right. says in their articles, no members. So we've been talking about this for a while. I say, I mean, you all have been talking about that quite a bit. But I found it very interesting that now this is just conjecture, certainly. Um, and But my with my experience, I think had they signed it and attested to it as the Georgia Republican Party, Inc., there's been a lot of notoriety about that lately. And I think that would have alarmed a lot of people. But when they attest and sign to it as the GAGOP state chairman, if you do the research, that's the corporation too. Hmm. Now, remember the corporation only has three members, the chairman, the secretary of the state party, and the treasurer. Now, they signed and they registered this year. And it also says no, no other members. So this, the significance, what I'm trying to get people to wrap their head around is this is the first time they're kind of like out it. Okay, we're signing a call and we're a corporation. And, and right. I think it has a lot of implications. Now, I, I can't say for sure. And in the past, my research was more about just getting the facts out. Mm -hmm. Now I can't help but wonder what are the implications of yeah. Somebody had a really interesting analogy the other day, if I could share. They they said, you know, and Jim Jones, buddy of mine, let's say, he says, you know, I, I'm a person. I can't just tomorrow say, oh, I'm Jim Jones, comma, Inc. That's not, that's not me. That's a separate thing. And I have to do work to create it. And it's, it's as if it's a separate entity. It's a separate entity legally. So what's what you're describing sounds like, again, this thing that uh, Hank was talking about last week with mixing, sort of mixing together the notion of party and incorporation, yet they're beholden to completely different sets of laws. That seems surprising, I guess, is one word you might pick. Um, so uh, others are seeing this, yes? I mean, other, other people are noticing this and taking uh, taking uh, questions about it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's why I found it particularly alarming when I, I went through it, because I they were indicators right away that we had a problem. So there I went out and I wrote a letter to the whole state committee. That's kind of another story or maybe the end of sort here. But um, I just found it interesting that they were the signature block was for the GOP which is the corporate end of things. And uh, as I said, anyone can go and look at GOGOP and they'll say all the donations that go to the Georgia Republican Party, Inc. So, but what does this all kind of matter? I think there's almost like a series that probably needs to be had. And, and what are the harms for this? And what does it matter? I've often heard them say to me, um, leadership say, you know, it doesn't matter. It's been working well for us since 2014. And my reply to them, Bill, has been, you know what? You're right. It has been working well for you since 2014. It's been working great for you, but it hasn't been working well for the 
the people of Georgia, the Republicans of Georgia. I don't think most of us would contend we haven't done that great in the last few few years. We've had some issues. We had some problems with representation, good governance, Republicans really being Republicans. And um, I'm saying there's a lot of harms. This particular harm that's coming up is the Republican National Convention, the Georgia Republican National Convention, and its delegates in next summer in 2024. These are the people that will determine and nominate who runs for president and vice president of the United States. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what happens when you have these three people governing our body, our our body, our political body, instead of the 185 state committee members that are well dispersed throughout the state and they're voted on, I was voted on in Fulton County as, you know, perceived as a leader, somebody that a lot of people wanted to represent them. So for me, that's a um, big responsibility. And when I'm asked to just go and sign something like, um, I think it wasn't it you or somebody that said, you know, it's like Pelosi with the, the Obama bill or whatever, just sign it, just sign it. We just want you to sign it. There's no time. Yeah, to I think the quote from Pelosi was you have to, you have to sign it and pass it to find out what's in it. Well, I can tell you, somewhat backward. <laughs> I can tell you this, Bill. I still have not read it all, but I did not accept it. And I still have not read it all, and I'm fairly familiar at this point. Well, I was. I just knew there wasn't enough time for me to read it and to to um, effectively have any input in yeah. it. They didn't want any input in it. So this this is a problem when you. So what happens when it comes to this delegation? In, at the Republican National Convention in next summer, is they're really being, there's much too much influence of these three people and way too little influence of the 185. So may, we may think we're winning at certain ends in certain places, but when it comes to who's putting in our state representatives, legislators and that, senators and president of the United States, it's all coming from this delegation a little confusing i may not be explaining it right no i think i think you are i mean you're you said you don't have enough influence coming from the 185 if i if i listen closely to the way you describe this process the 185 had essentially zero influence over the content of the document well i should say i should i have to correct ourselves here the 185 who are not the in crowd in the um the, the, the rhinos or the leadership or the people that have the oligarchy, the people have been leading our party. I'm yeah. not one of them. Although I speak to leaders all the time, there's texts on my phone. Right so there now. is a, there's a subset in the 185 that are really. Absolutely. So there's the those, there's those that absolutely knew it was coming. And those of us that were completely uh, surprised by it. Now, let, my question would be, why did they not present this to us a couple of weeks earlier at the state convention when we were all together, August 26th? Mm-hmm. The, that was a state committee meeting, in-person meeting. They did not present this valuable, extraordinary piece of important governance for us. They, mm-hmm. they And they did not mention it, Bill. Did not mention it. Well, one of the, one of the things that we've seen in the past is, you know, when folks bring this up proactively, which I bet is going to happen now for the next steps, then it makes it very difficult for people to stall, doesn't it? So 
I mean, one of the questions I think people are asking themselves right now is what's what's next that we should see and who do we have to ask to make sure we get it in proper timing? Exactly. And that's where I'm kind of brainstorming right now. I knew they were going to um, do something like this, but I see they also knew the October 1st deadline. They presented the letter and they presented it to us. We need your vote Monday. And um, because by October 1st, which is just what a week, less than a week from today, a few days, mm -hmm. um, this needs to be into the, to the Republican national, you know, committee or whatever. Now, do you think they've known that for a while? I mean, I can promise you, and Josh McCoon, if he didn't know it, he should have known it the week he got elected. I mean, this is not a new deadline. This convention, we all know has been coming next summer. So um, when I say we all know, the leadership all knows, but we haven't known. So also interesting enough and important to point out, they didn't even have the addendums attached to it hmm. that um, had all the numbers and, you know, delegate numbers and that. It wasn't, they, they sent it out at 159 or something, I think, about two hours before, they sent it out Monday, yesterday. They said, oops, we're sorry, we didn't send you this. So a couple hours before the official vote, they were sending us the addendums by county of the numbers. So um, I think what's, like I said, it's very important to under, for people to understand, you have in the Republican Party 185 duly elected officers, but they are definitely being suppressed and we're being controlled by this elite corporate entity and people. And this is a perfect example of how. So what you'll see from them, Bill, is when they put the vote out, they go, oh, look, we overwhelmingly won. We, you know, the call is perfect. Yeah. But I can tell you this. What happened is um, I'm, definitely they're, they're advertising that, but they're not advertising how they did it. It was a yeah. forced down your throat vote. You either accept it or we miss the deadline and you put everybody in peril. So I have these people calling me saying, what is this? I feel I have to vote for it because, you know, we don't even get to say anything about it. So um, but it looks great for them. It looks like a win. But it was a very well played yeah. win. They, they they're they're brilliant at it. And um it was not a surprise to them. They've got their win, but it's how they got their win and that, yeah. that matters. So they're controlling the party. I guarantee we're going to have chance to talk more about this. Um, and, and we'll look forward to hearing from you and others as to what do we need to be watching for next and how do we make sure that folks have the opportunity to weigh in as they should, um, being that they've been chosen to be uh, representatives for, uh, we'll call it for the moment, the real Republican Party in Georgia. How about that? Yeah, that's, so, I, I like that. And if so, I may, just um, anyone, I'm, I'm well, perfectly willing and happy to talk about people, to talk to people, whether they agree with me or not. But uh, and I can be reached at Go Reclaim Georgia at proton.me. So, um, and I great. enjoy engage the conversation. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you. You're a, you're a leader and a, uh, in a, in a perfect guide for uh, this confusion we're going through. So thank you. Well, we'll I look forward opportunity. We'll look forward to the next next chance to catch up. Thank you Thank so much. You. Have a good day. You too. Guest, we're, while we're talking about our families and how to protect them, your food supply is one of the most important things you can think of. Please check out our, or our sponsor, FamilyFarmBeefBox.com. That's FamilyFarmBeefBox.com.
nebraskameat.com where you can get dry aged Nebraska meat shipped directly to your door. And you know the best thing about it? There's no mRNA. You can be assured of that. It's very healthy. The taste is amazing. It's much better and different than you get in the store because they only butcher 15 cows a week compared to 5,000 a day. So you can imagine the quality difference of the meat and of the cuts. They send you a range of different cuts, whether it be fillets, uh, ribs, hamburger, chuck, uh, sirloin, etc. And you, what the best part about it is you can sit down with your family and decide what you're going to cook that night and cook it and have a family meal and everybody talk about it. Uh, so familyfarmbeefbox.com, please check them out. Please support our sponsors and protect your family at the same time, which is a big, big, big focus of CDM and the Georgia record. Thank you. Okay, we are ready for our next guest. Um, let me bring him right in. Hey, Bill, how Mr. are you? Mr. BKP, also known as Brian K. Pritchard. Thank you for joining us, my friend. How are you doing tonight, Bill? You doing well? You know, I am trying to I'm trying to have that elusive blend of BKPism and Dianism. And mm. you know, I'm just juggling. I'm just juggling. So thank you for being here. Well, let me say before we get some things kicked off, I just sent another graphic. I don't know if you were able to get it. And I, I got you covered. I said, All what right. would Diane do? And I, I right. got you covered. <laughs> uh, but, but let me say something to your audience here before we get started. You're doing amazing work. Uh, the, the Georgia record is doing some amazing work there at CDM. Um, you, you have put out a couple and, uh, we have done, and, and I don't want to say, I don't want to talk about those articles, but we've done so much work on them and, and, uh, they're, they're, they're available for people to view. We got a lot of other things we want to talk about. But you asked a lot of questions, and let me tell you what I really like. I, I went back today after you and I did a segment, and I read the articles again, and I looked at our segment. And what I like about your investigative reporting that you're working on is you're asking questions. And I have to tell you, that has to be okay. It has to be okay. Um, it, it, it's all right ask the questions and let people respond. If they have, if they have a problem with the information that you're sharing, let them respond to it. And, you know, so, so I just want to really, really brag about the work you're doing here and some of the series you're in the middle of uh, that you're developing over at the Georgia record. I appreciate it. Well, it's very kind. I mean, we all have, and, all the folks listening that I know are working hard on election integrity, everybody has a lane in this. It's like the multi-lane highway of truth. And so you two are every morning bringing out important stuff. So kudos right back at you, my friend. All right. Give me, um, I, I sent over graphic number six and, and we talk about the smoke and the uh, smoke and mirrors that, that the media puts up every single day. And when, when, I guess we use the word normal during normal times or back when we had back when we had news outlets, back when they, uh, you know, broadcast the news and, and things of that nature. This would have been the lead story on all the networks. Actually, I think in the old days uh, when we only had the six o'clock news and the five o'clock news, this would be breaking news that if some of us older people remember that graphic that would say breaking news. 
Mm -hmm. and they would break into this would be it but no you want, you want number six is it yeah yeah not on not on our networks okay not on any of our networks biden scandal distraction now today is september 26th a new york judge rules trump committed fraud okay and and then you have actually the news Comer revealed Hunter Biden received $260,000 from China with Joe Biden's address on the wire. So let's come back now. All right. Obviously, Letitia James, the attorney general in New York, campaigned that she would she would get Trump. That's that's their campaign. Fonnie Willis, they all yep. campaign now. Alvin Bragg, that elect me and I'll be the one to bring down Donald J. Trump and finish him off. So Letitia James, the attorney general, basically uh, throws Trump out of New York, um, claims fraud, is convicting them of fraud, the Trump organization, probably is going to shut down his ability to do business in New York. And that, that, ran over. That was timed out to come out the same day we reveal, you know, Comer reveals that Hunter Biden received $260,000 from the Chinese. Now, here's the thing. I'm watching the media this morning, and when they mentioned this, and I mean mentioned, not reported like it's breaking news of any evidence, they said, well, this is during a time Joe Biden is not president of the United States. Folks, the wires came from China. They came from, they came from Chinese businessmen connected to the Chinese government there, the Chinese government. They came via wire to Joe Biden's address. At the same time, Joe Biden is a candidate for president of the United States of America to his son, Hunter Biden. And remember, here's the here's a little kicker, a little side note. Hunter Biden, Bill, is suing Rudy Giuliani, right, for hacking. For the laptop that wasn't his? Yeah, for the hack, <laughs> hacking the laptop, laptop that wasn't real. So wait a minute, how do you make this up? Hunter's suing Rudy for the laptop that wasn't real that all of the media said they could not prove was real during the 2020 campaign, the influence the media had there in October. And I don't want to get lost here, but oh no, there's no corruption at all in, in, the, in the election, right? No fraud. And the, the media said that this laptop wasn't real and we know the 50 or 51 former intel agents that signed a letter saying it was russian propaganda now getting back to the 260k that china wired to hunter i'm going to suspect that joe was in the basement when the wire came in <laughs> right well, he was I mean, there every day, as far as yes, we can tell. Joe, He'd call a, what was it, call a lid by 10, 10 a.m. or something? Right, and Joe would go out <laughs> from time to time in one of the crop circles and or or at a drive-in where they would blow the horn. But in, in all seriousness, these are relations with the Chinese government, these people that Hunter and Joe developed while he was vice president, okay, 
during his time as vice president. They continued when he became, you know, private citizen Joe Biden. Now, when these wires come in, he's a candidate for the president of the United States of America. He's probably in the basement. And Hunter is getting these wire wire transfers of massive money to Joe's house. While the media says, yet, they've yet to connect it to Joe, the president. They've yet to connect Hunter's dealing. So now that's the smoke and screen they put up today um, that is just unreal on a daily basis. But there was something I really wanted that's near that that has I've been passionate about this week, and it's the invasion on the southern border. Bill, I, I have been talking about it, and you know this for for years now, okay, the invasion on the southern border. Mm-hmm. But here recently, you, you can't time any of these news stories out any better than the diversion of the government shutting down. So they want to they want to take most of us away from the opportunity to be able to read and keep up with what's going on and what they're passing and what they're spending and giving to Ukraine with all of these diversions. But I want to bring things home. We do broadcast from here in Georgia. So I'd like to my core tonight I was thinking what do I want to do? Uh, we we have a we have a worldwide audience on this program, but you and I are sitting in Georgia. Um, can you give me number one? Okay, because folks, uh, we're sure can. we're we're gonna we're gonna put this in right in, and we want you to think about this as we discuss it. Just in the month of August, three hundred thousand migrants, as they call them, illegals, invaded our country. Now, first of all, it's an invasion, okay? Now, if we say, if I say it is the replacement theory, the media goes nuts. If anybody says, well, they're bringing them in as a replacement, oh, that sends them over the edge. But we will show you exactly what they're doing here. Well, first of all, it's a war. I'm not. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We're on a. We're in a war on our southern border. Okay, the six billion dollars that they're allocating for Ukraine should be to defend our. Should be to defend our border. Our military should be dispatched. Our troops should not be at the border. They should be in Mexico because Mexico is our enemy. They're not an ally. Let me look at the camera, folks. Mexico is not your ally. Your ally would not allow the drugs to come through and kill your children, the gangs to come through and kill your children. They would not allow the illegal guns. They would not allow war with our border patrol. They would not allow this, okay? They're sanctioning a war. So I'm going to tell you, people won't like it. Mexico is our enemy, And when we have an enemy that has allowed an attack and an invasion on our country, we should not be spending $6 billion protecting a border for Ukraine while our kids are being killed by the enemy below the southern border. Now, 
300,000 migrants crossed the border in one month. Now, this is one month. We don't have time to get into the got away. We don't have time to get into the 3 million that we have record that have come in so far this year alone. All right. But look at the number. Now, as you see that in one month, Let's focus on Georgia. Let's go to number two. This is what I want you to take away. This is the population of cities that you and I know in Georgia. Augusta, right? 206,000. They could replace Augusta and almost South Fulton or, or Roswell. They can replace Augusta and Roswell. The entire population in one month. You see that? Does yep. this? I mean, are you seeing where I'm coming with this? Look at the replacement in one month. Three hundred thousand. Go to the next one, Bill. I I got them in a row there. If you don't mind. Uh, Warner Robins, eighty-two thousand. Alpharetta, sixty-seven. These are the populations. And the reason I asked Bill to put these on the screen. And so you can look at, from Peachtree Corners, if you start at the bottom, you could replace almost six cities. The total population of six cities in the state of Georgia in one month with the invasion from our enemy on the southern border. Right there. It's now, interesting. If, if I could make one observation too, Brian, sorry for walking in on you, but no. um, when Title 42 ended, most people have forgotten now that we got um, a whopping $7 million um, from, uh, I guess, from the feds for Atlanta to accept to deal with the migrant surge. Right. We, is that enough to deal with this? You've well, got wait a to minute, be kidding wait a minute. Me, you know. You are you are on no 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 you're on track. I thank you for saying that because when Title 42 ended, like you said, all right, all across the country, these states and municipalities got a certain amount of money to deal with this crisis. All right, now take New York out of your mind because they want to lead you to believe on the media. There's a reason on the media they want to lead you to believe that they're all going to New York. Okay, that's all they talk about, Eric Adams, New York, but I get it, and Chicago. Look at how many cities would get replaced. Now, totally get replaced in just one month. Uh, go to the next one. Do I have another one? You do. All right, one more just to put up there. We just wanted you to see Douglasville. If you live over there, you have 37,000. It could replace Douglasville that one month that invasion can replaced Douglasville, what, nine times? Mm -hmm. Nine times, okay? Rome, Woodstock. So that's what I wanted, Dalton, Georgia. Nine, nine times your population was replaced in this country in one month from an invasion on the southern border. Now, Border Patrol agents, the head of the Border Patrol, uh, I forget his name, he said, you know what? Their job is not to process immigration. They're not. We have legal forms and, and legal avenues for people to come in legally. And we have people that are supposed to be able to process that. That's not Border Patrol. 
Border Patrol is supposed to be focused on the fentanyl, all the 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 terrorist, the terrorist, the the disease, the tuberculosis, the guns. Okay, that's what they're supposed to be focused on is finding the people that are crossing illegally, not processing. But they are so busy processing, Bill, that they say the other stuff is just getting in. They, there's no way they could cover it. Now, I wanted to show this, and I think that's my last one. You can come back to us for a reason. Um, I'm going to stick with Georgia, but I know nationally or worldwide, if you're watching, it's in your state. Okay, I have asked every day on my program, I'm going to ask on this program, and I'm going to direct it straight to the governor. Okay, let's go to the top. You call your lawmaker uh, in Georgia, call your house member, call, call your sheriff. All right, be nice, call your sheriff, your, your mayor, your, your county commissioners. All right, call, call your state rep, your state senator, and call the governor and say, where are they? Where are they? Because they're in Georgia, folks. We got money, and it's not enough to answer your question. But call and ask where they're at because they're in our state, and they won't answer us, and they won't tell us. Do you realize, I think, I think, if I'm correct, I think since Biden became president, now I don't like, I don't like to spit out something as a fact if I get it wrong, but I think it's, I think it's Biden. Since Biden became president, the amount that has come over that we're aware of, I think would equal the 11th largest state in America. The 11th. I think largest. I heard something similar to that. Yes. Yes. So, so where where are they at, and what are they doing? Because they're all getting health care, and the reason I say this is we're on a week bill, and I know I got so many things written down, but but I'm trying to make it focus to where we're accomplishing something. We're on a week where they're up there in DC in the swamp trying to find money. You got you got Biden over there promising uh auto workers 40% raise when the auto workers want they want the raise, but the real thing that they're not talking about is the EVs, the transition and transitioning them out of a job totally and and Biden is doing it. He's doing it with the EVs, and it's gonna it's gonna be the a major disaster. While they're collapsing this country, and what I call organized, an oxymoron, right? Organized chaos because it is planned. All right, they're up there in D.C. figuring out how to steal money, send it to Ukraine, enormous spending packages, while. They won't tell us where these people are, and these people will financially collapse the country. Yep. Go ahead, Bill. So there's there's two points I'd like to offer. One is uh, many people know, some may not, that throughout this, beginning, uh, I believe, in 21, if you looked carefully enough, you would find reports of both planes and buses leaving border towns or near border towns and transporting those illegal uh, immigrants to towns all over the U.S. And yes. to your point, oh, yes. not just Chicago, not just San Francisco, not just New York, but all over the place. Why? 
I think that remains to be seen. To your second point, money for Ukraine. Yes, it's it's Washington, but you know what? And you you may you, I may get hate mail for this, but it's also people right here in Georgia that are causing it. These guys voted for funds, more funds for Ukraine in this past week. Um, in spite of the fact we've already sent them, you know, estimates range from a hundred billion to a hundred and twenty or thirty billion already. Do we do we not have problems that could use an extra thirty or forty billion here in the country? And we're five days or now four days, <clears throat> excuse me, from a government shutdown, which to your point earlier today might be the best thing. So well, I call it good news. I have to say, I mean, people will attack me. I call it, hey, I have good news. I open the show. And we're five days away tomorrow. I'll open the show four days away. I have great news. This government could actually shut down, and it may be the best thing that happens to uh, the American people right now in my lifetime because of the fact that, and you know, the other thing, and I, I, I want to finish this for a reason, but the other thing on the government shutdown is we know they're going to pass a budget, and we know they're going to do that. And everybody, everybody that takes the time off or whatever, everybody gets back pay. They get all their back pay. It's not like it's not like if a if it shuts down and a government worker is off on Monday, they lose Monday's pay. They don't even have to go to work. They could be home for two weeks, and all of a sudden, when the government gets funded, all of their money is 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 retroactive right back. So. It, it's nothing but a lie is what they tell you and, and the devastation. Most, and I'll say this, most government employees plan for this. They plan for this. They know it's coming. They know it happens. It's not as devastating. But what they want to let you believe is, is grandma won't be able to get a prescription. The military won't be able to get a paycheck. Children won't get school lunches. I mean, we know what they do, okay? I got to get back to the immigration so I don't finish, lose my final port, if that's okay, or the or the Absolutely. illegal yeah, invasion man. of this country. Yep. Like Bill said, they're putting them on planes. And I, I just thought this was an opportune time to really do this segment. They're putting them on planes all over the country. They're putting on buses. I have gotten phone calls. I won't give you the areas. Hey, a, 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 a passenger bus, just big bus just came through our town, stopped at the local truck stop. People got off and they didn't get back on. And I actually know of one incident where the sheriff went over of that county. They called the sheriff and told the bus driver, they said to the bus driver, get your passengers back on. And the bus driver said, when I stop for scheduled restroom breaks, and they get off, I'm just paid to drive to point, point, point. I cannot force them to get back on this bus. That's not my job. Okay. So the sheriff basically said, get on the bus and leave. Here's the point I'm making, and I'll get out of this segment. You don't have the money. Okay. You have to feed them. You have to clothe them. Yes, you have to give them a place to live. You have to give them medical care. And you have to put their kids in school. All right? 
They have to go to school and they're in our schools and they're collapsing the system. I have asked people, call from the governor all the way down to your sheriff and say, where are they? It is bad, Bill, when the local sheriff in your county does not get, and I trust the sheriffs I talk to, they do not get a notification from like the state saying, you need to be notified, you have uh, undocumented, as they want to call it, you have 282 undocumented people will be in you. Nobody, the chairman doesn't know, your commissioners don't know, they don't know. And they're not lying to you, but ask them. But I'll tell you how you find some things out. First of all, go over to your school and find out, your board of education, and find out ESL. How many new ESL teachers have you hired in the last five years? English second language. English second language. You're going to be shocked. They have to tell you how many ESL teachers you've hired in your school system in Georgia. Then I think I'm pretty sure ask them. They'll tell you it's not public record. That's a lie. Every student that goes into the school, they can bring a kid in your school. They don't have to have a shot record, hmm. no shot record, no transcripts, no per parent that can speak English or answer any questions, and you have to put them in school. Yes, sir. You may think I'm wrong. I can look you right in the eye. You have to put them in school. And guess what? There has to be a code entered because the code entered gives them their federal money, your school and the state money. And it tells the federal government and the state that you have an undocumented person in your school and you get the proper allotted funding. So go over and ask your school system how many 999 registrations do you have? How many do you have? Okay. I'm pretty sure that's what it is because it's a code. I think it's 999. Ask how many. If they start lying to you, do an open record and find out how many kids you have in your school. So, I mean, that might be pretty deep, Bill, but it's a fact of what's going on. And they're going to collapse this country financially because I said to my, my viewers today on the show, you know, there's not another trillion dollar bailout bill the next time we have to come up with a trillion dollars, China's going to say, well, I think we should probably just take the keys now. You mean Marjorie can't come up with another $1.3 or something? Man, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> that was I'm pretty sorry. Good. No, I'm that was sorry. pretty good. That was pretty good. Go for it. Go for it. But your, I, your, I'm going to wrap that points up. Your point's very well taken. what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, what, basically what you're, what you're pointing out is people go home in the school boards and others every night and know that number. They know how many kids are in school and, and they're children. So we're not, we're not shooting at children. Here. I got we're, that. You're you know. exactly right. But, but, but that bill is still coming home to roost in each of our counties. And yet nobody's talking about it. Why not? Well, we are, I mean, we I, are. I get it. No, I have yeah. to say people, I think people are. I think people are talking about it. I think more people than we realize are talking about. Uh, now, I know in the interest of time, I think we're, I, I, I didn't mean to 
just go down that one solid subject, but I wanted to see if we could, uh, I hope we achieve something. I hope we just really something sinking in because I've, I've been doing that for days and I had a lady send me a text and, and she said, I have sent every one these segments. It said, you got to look at the populations of these cities and you got to let that sink in. Yep. yep. It brings it home. I think it's like many of the conversations you and I and others have had. And I've, I, for some reason, going back now more, more than a year, um, people have said over and over again, there's something about Georgia. We are an epicenter. And so this is just another example of how this overall problem is affecting us directly. It's, it isn't easy to see, but it doesn't mean it's not here. And it's, it very much is here. So super good point. Can I run, can I run down some bullet points I made some real bullet points? Yep. Because you, because these are some things I, I, I put bullet points to that you just can't make this up. Now, while, while Donald Trump's getting kicked out of New York, now, wait a minute. While Donald Trump's getting kicked out of New York for operating his business, and they claim he, you know, his his estimated wealth, all right, fraud, claim fraud. While this guy's getting kicked out of New York, Hunter Biden is suing Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York on 9-11, that brought down the five families, okay, that took on organized crime. He's suing Rudy for hacking a computer that did not exist and was not real. And wait a minute, wait a minute. And then yesterday, the ultimate criminal, the ultimate criminal, criminal, instead of of doing a 60 minutes piece on how many years now that Hillary has been in prison and how long before she's up for parole. <laughs> they reveal her secretary of state painting portrait. They reveal that yesterday while she's the queen of being the bag lady going around the world with our plane and picking up bags of money for the Clinton foundation. But just think of this, put this in your head. Hillary's getting praised while we should be talking when she gets out of prison or will she die in prison? Okay. Um, Uh, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Then Menendez has gold bars. (laughs) Now, I I have to say, what's wrong with Bob having a little cash on the side for an emergency and a couple gold bars? Right? But Bob Menendez, the Democrat senator in New Jersey, they have an investigation that they wrap up really quick and they get the Egyptian guy at the airport, their witness, okay? They got it all down at such an opportune time, right? No smoke and mirrors, <laughs> Bob Menendez. But it took five years to get Hunter on three gun charges. Huh? Damn, hell you say. <laughs> but here's the classic now, I don't see nothing wrong with Menendez having a couple gold bars. I mean, my God, you know, he's concerned about the cash system. But never fear. The corruption never stops. The governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy, has someone waiting to take his spot 
when all the Democrats that have called for him to resign and he leaves, fortunately, he looks over at the dinner table and he finds Tammy Murphy, which happens to be Phil Murphy's wife, is waiting for the Senate seat. <laughs> well, hell. Huh. Well, let's see. I might let me see if I have anything else. Well, tonight, Bill, don't forget the B team is playing. The B team, the minor league. Oh, that's team. right. All right. As a matter of fact, in another 45 minutes, I think, yeah. Right. In 45 minutes, you can watch the Savannah Bananas, or a.k.a. the presidential primary election, uh, in 45 minutes, where the B team will be on there just trying to throw mud at the wall and see if it sticks, and they could get within the gap, shrink it down from 50, <laughs> the deficit with Trump, to maybe 46. Actually, but, I think I have an estimate on that. If they do really, really, really well, they that may. That was three reallys. Yeah, that's right. They <laughs> may only lose another three or four points to the president. <laughs> yeah, only, yeah, right? Now, the UAW up there with, with Fain, the chair of the president of UAW with with Joe Biden and Joe Biden's holding the bullhorn that he had to use two hands because he's so shaky. But Joe Biden finished up with the bullhorn with about 30 people there and left, got on a plane, went to California for a very, very wealthy fundraiser where he had a meeting with Gavin Newsom. And Gavin Newsom is going to be the Democrat in the audience tonight for the Democrats. Huh. Interesting. Now, let me say this. There's there, there's something bad wrong. And I know up to this point, you're thinking, well, wait a minute. Now you're getting to something bad wrong. <laughs> now there's something bad wrong, but there's something bad wrong here. Because first of all, I'm going to look at the screen and I'm the only I'm the only show host in America that offers you in the morning to turn my show off. I say, look, if this is a problem, turn it off, leave. Because I have zero for Sean Hannity. I have zero for Sean Hannity and the Carl Rove team and the Murdoch team. I do not watch fixed news. I mean, Fox News. I don't watch Fox News. Sorry. Hope the attorneys that are standing by don't send letters and we're in trouble. But why is Fox News and Sean Hannity coming to Georgia in November to moderate a debate with Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, folks, and Gavin Newsom. Why? Now, wait a minute. You got to stop and think. I think I think he got a deal with uh, Eric Erickson's, you know, uh, parking slots that he signed up for his event. Maybe there for some go. reason they want to come here. There you go. Oh, so you're you're bringing in you're invoking the water boy, aka Eric Erickson. That doesn't carries it, the doesn't it strike you as similar? Well, they bring, let me, they bring let those me. folks in, and now they bring in you know Newsom and and DeSantis. DeSantis is on. His campaign's on life support. Well, wait a minute. This is at the same time. This is at the same. It's actually DeSantis is not the main interest for me on this. And I know what they're doing. But this is the same time where Brian Kemp. Now, you have the graphic, and we'll wrap up with this because I don't know how long you want to go. But it, will you give me number five? Okay. Never yes, forget sir. this, folks. Never forget this. No matter what the media writes, no matter what he says, all right? No matter what he says, what the media writes, Brian Kemp said, Donald Trump put out a large, complex, detailed, but 
infutable report, infutable report on the presidential election fraud took place in Georgia. All right. Immediately, Kemp cropped that and put out the 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen. Never forget that. So every time Brian Kemp comes up and he says, I support the nominee, I support the nominee. No, he may support Donald Trump. And uh, some of you that don't know, we don't have time, but he may support Donald Trump in the same exact way he supported Herschel Walker. Okay. And for those out there that followed that race and uh, you, you noticed how Brian Kemp supported Herschel Walker. But keep this in mind, what bothers me the most is Brian Kemp puts this out, and then I'm getting phone calls this week. Hey, hey, are you going to back off the governor? Why? You know, he (laughs) said, if the nominee is Donald Trump, he's going to support Donald Trump. Isn't that what you wanted to hear, what I wanted to hear? So now think about this. Look at the screen. The 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen. Brian Kemp said that. In the interview, okay, This is what Kemp said about Trump and Georgia. I do think he can win Georgia. Joe Biden's approval ratings are so bad. His policies have been so bad for so many people in the state of Georgia. So, yes, I think he can win. But I also think he stands a very good chance of losing. Huh. A very good chance of losing if he continues to talk about the stolen 2020 election. Now, that's what Kemp Hmm. really said. That's his quote. Hmm. Okay? So, let me say this. Georgia, for those of you that that out there, and what what did Russia say? You're you're Belinda, California, right? For those of you out there that are wondering about Georgia, and you say, well, Georgia is a Republican state. Georgia is a Republican ruling class state a Republican ruling class state. Now, the governor, secretary of state, lieutenant governor, uh, ag commissioner, insurance commissioner, the state senate, the state house, uh, house, all Republican majorities, all Republican offices. So why are they not demanding Fox stop and not let the liberal from the left coast Gavin Newsom have a platform in Georgia. The Georgia GOP, every constitutional officer, the governor, everyone that claims to be a Republican should be up in arms. We should not be giving Gavin Newsom a platform in the state of Georgia, but you don't hear anything about it. And that is a trick they're playing on you. And they're playing it. I agree. And they're playing it about every week because they're doing the same thing with Colton Moore's call for a special session. They're doing it for the same same thing with regard to, you know, squashing the First Amendment at the uh, infamous Perry fish fry from hell. So, <laughs> folks, China's getting ready. China's getting ready to dump cheap electric cars. The UAW, sadly, this is not a debate on whether I'm union, pro-union, don't have time for that. This is not a debate on that. But sadly, the workers are going to get it in the end, literally. Okay. The 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 UAW leadership, they will all make out. 
because electric cars, China's going to dump, collapse our auto industry, totally collapse our auto industry. Don't have time for that. Bill, something we need to keep an eye on. Uh, the Supreme Court rejected Alabama's redistricting appeal, okay, meaning Alabama has to go back and redraw their lines. Uh, the court case here in Georgia, I will tell you this, lawmakers, I spoke to several, are concerned if, if that it could be as early as tomorrow, if not tomorrow, Friday, that, that the court case that we have in Georgia, okay, uh, will will get overturned. Our districts will get overturned and we will have to redistrict. And that mm -hmm. will mean especially, let me tell you what that means. That means if you hear our districts were overturned, uh, um, we got a problem. Okay. Houston, we got a problem or Atlanta, we got a problem. That means there will be a special session in November. They'll have no choice but to go in November to a special session. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. November and start redrawing the districts. Now, the one at stake, because I think, Bill, I think we could lose the House. I'm a little nervous we could lose the House. What McCarthy's doing, some things that are happening, uh, I, I think I think Trump could get elected. I know Trump Trump's going to get elected, but we could lose the House. So you got to remember, when they redistrict, they took the 6th District, and I'm not for sure if that's where you reside or not, but they took the 6th District, which was Lucy McBath's district, and they turned it into a plus 24, okay? Hmm. And that is the big outcry. Uh, Congressman McCormick, Rich McCormick, Dr. Rich McCormick, he won that district a plus 24. So they're up in arms of going from Lucy McBath, as you well know, Lucy McBath jumped over the 7th district, which was Carolyn Bardot's district, which she ran against her, knocked her out, and she's over in the seventh now. But they took the six basically away from the Democrats, and they are up in arms losing that district with a plus 24. That could spell trouble. Dr. Rich McCormick could have an issue in the next day or two. Um, I'll leave it there. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Go ahead. I, that's... That's really on my on my list. Well, that uh, is the, the timing is just about right, Mr. Pritchard. We are okay. Uh, we are coming down to it for the time being. I I know that we we have no limit to the depth of things we can explore and will over the coming weeks and months. So it is uh, it is always a pleasure to have you with us. And uh, I'm Bill. I'm can sure we'll I uh, can I wrap up with my one quote? It'll take fifteen seconds. Go right uh, it, ahead. It starts, it starts out, it says, write this down and force yourself, force yourself to remember it every day. The Republican Party priority is to retain their business to control the outcomes. And this has nothing to do with winning elections. The RNC would rather lose elections and retain power than win elections and lose operational control over the apparatus. I wanted to close with that. And that makes perfect sense in line with everything else we said tonight. Thank, Thank you. you again. Thank you again, BKP. You are always welcome, and uh, we will see you soon, I'm sure. Thank you. And uh, thanks thanks to everyone for joining us tonight. We will see you on Sunday. We will have some very special guests on Sunday, and I'm sure you will enjoy the show. We'll have some uh, interesting 
somewhat somewhat different content this time, but I think you'll find it fascinating and important. See you then.